Okay, everyone. Hello, and welcome back to the BMW Blog Podcast. Uh, today, we have Chuck. He's been a writer of uh, hey BMW Blog for a while, a uh, longtime contributor, and uh, he's got a lot of cool cars, and he has a lot of interesting experiences to talk about. So, uh, hi, Chuck. How are you? I'm doing great. I had uh, one of those interesting experiences today. Um, I just kind of stumbled on um, a drive of an M4 that hit the local dealership here, and BMW here, they called me up. I, I've been asking them to let me know when they get one in uh, so I could sit in it and go through the menus. Uh, there's The M menus are fairly complicated. There's at least 10 different ways you can set the M dynamic mode, drift mode. There's just a million ways to set it, and I just wanted to try to understand the car uh, before I got to drive it. And then after about 45 minutes of going through the menu, he goes, do you want to drive the car? I'm like, I don't have my license with me, but let me go get it. Um, and uh, it's an amazing car. Um, short drive, just some on-off ramps. Um, but, uh, you know, over about 15, 20 minutes, you can get a good feel for a car. And I can tell it's an extremely competent chassis. The power is amazing. The one I drove was an M4 competition with a 8-speed automatic transmission. And um, BMW knows how to hide the weight well. It was a pretty impressive drive. It's good to hear. So if you're yeah, coming from the E92 M3, maybe maybe you want to touch on that. Uh, sure. Um, my uh, daily driver, if you will, uh, is either an E92 M3 or a BMW i3. And um, today I drove the E92 M3 to work and back. And um, it's a wonderful car, very analog experience, six-speed manual transmission, um, have some exhaust mods on the car. And it just, it sounds amazing and it's um a very rewarding car to drive um but clearly not nearly as fast as the m4 but um you know it's really hard to go fast anywhere and you, you have to be um safe about how you do things and you know if you're really gonna explore these cars you really need to take them to track and i have i've owned several m3s and i've taken them to the racetrack and um i've i don't know you just learn a lot more about a car when you can push it without um a, worrying about going to jail because you're going to uh, go way over the speed limit uh, and then, you know, getting rear-ended because of the enormous uh, capabilities of the brakes on these cars are just unbelievable. And if you, uh, I call it track-style braking, if you're nailing the brakes and it's throwing you forward like this, um, you know, and you're on the interstate, you'll get rear-ended. So, you know, I enjoy going to track. I don't go as much as a lot of my track buddies, but uh, I, you know, it's a wonderful experience. Um, I enjoy taking my cars there, and um, it'd be wonderful to get to drive the M4 on the track and see what the new one, see what see what it's like. I've driven the the F80 M3 and M4 uh, out at Thermal Club at BMW's track out there, and um, you know, they're they're amazing cars. You know, their capabilities are just ridiculous. Yeah, but at a first glance, so coming from the E92 M3 and driving the F80 also. Um, is there something that, that you felt immediately being different in the new G80? Well, um, compared to my um, E92 M3, which is a 2011, it's, uh, you know, you're jumping 10 years newer, newer tech. Um, the power's gone from around 440 to over 500. And uh, my manual, going from the manual to the uh, eight-speed automatic of the new G82 M4, um, was a little worried about what the power delivery would be like and it uh, it does feel like an automatic and it does shift kind of harshly but it doesn't you know pound you in the back like the dct did with uh, the uh, f80 you know the, the immediate generation in between my older m3 and the the new m4 uh, the last one with the dct the dct just you, you know it's an experience to get banged in the back repeatedly as the thing jumps up through the gears and um, I felt like this was a more linear power delivery. It's probably quicker um, and it's probably going to be able to handle all-wheel drive better. The one I drove was rear-wheel drive. I don't think that BMW is making, um, I don't think that they're making an all-wheel drive version yet, maybe till next year or sometime in the summer I think is when they're going to start making them. But the, yeah, all the ones yeah, currently are, are all rear-wheel drive and most of them are automatics right now. The manuals, I think, are on the way, but I don't know of anybody that's been that's had one. Yeah, I'm not sure if the dealers got the manuals. I mean, the the one that I drove uh, was a manual. 
Yeah, I, I don't know about... Uh, I think there's some few manual press cars floating around, but uh, so far most uh, M3, M4 that, and that I've seen have been uh, competition automatics. I think people just want the competition too because the, the 500 plus horsepower. So I think that's going to be the big seller anyway. Uh, yeah, I mean, probably competition. Yeah, I was a little surprised that uh, you can't get a competition package with a manual transmission, but maybe you know maybe the transmission couldn't handle all the power i'm, I'm not sure of the reason but um you know i, I enjoy shifting the manual transmission i enjoy that interaction and cars are so fast anymore you know i i'm not bill Oberlin. i'm not going to race the thing so i don't need the speed i, I want the enjoyment out of it but right uh, oh. you know the the drive today was amazing you know what a oh, i think they said um they said that it's something with the torque i think that couldn't handle the um uh, the competition. Actually, no. The torque is the same way. That was the horsepower. But I, I believe they it could handle. I just don't think they wanted to go to the extent to modify the six-speed manual that they have right now, since you know it's pretty much the same one as we've seen before. That I think, that's this, I think the standard M4 or M3 is um, it's only manual, right? No. So is it basically, you can only get manual with rear-wheel drive. But, okay. Um, if you go autom if you go all wheel drive actually, on the standard car, do you get automatic? No. Let me think now. So actually, now I'm now I'm confused. Because BMW has been a little confusing with that. I think. It's actually, I think no. I think. Can you get a competition with the manual? I don't think so. I think competition's auto only. I, we sound like we don't know what we're talking about right now. <laughs> but because in Europe, they actually the one that we tested was a competition rear wheel drive, automatic. Yes. So I think yeah. So I think only the non-competition get the um, the rear-wheel drive. Right. Um, my probably, guess is yeah. the cynical uh, business case that they didn't want to have the competition have two transmissions, like they didn't want to offer it with two transmissions, and they wanted they wanted to offer the standard one with two transmissions with rear-wheel drive. It was probably like the take rate's too low to offer it on both. That's my cynical uh, business. Yeah, it could case. be a million things. I mean, honestly, Assumption. that could be the take rate. Could be also that. Um, I guess people will automatically want to get the automatic with all with all wheel drives and then uh, that and they would have to I don't know if they it would probably would, would have been difficult to make the manual work with all wheel drive with the X drive system so they probably the investment probably wasn't worth it. I don't remember if I asked probably me. take it. I yeah, I, I think BMW has been done with manuals and all wheel drive for probably I don't know four or five years now. It uh, it was yeah. kind of the. E46 had a manual with uh, all-wheel drive, but I, I think, you know, like you said, it's, it's so complicated that, that it's much better when they can control the programming of the transmission and the power output right. to the all-wheel drive system. And as much as we, like, you know, at least I do, and a lot and a lot of enthusiasts kind of rag on BMW for kind of becoming too high-tech and too... They are one of the last uh, automakers that really puts out manual sports cars, so we do have to be glad about that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they and Porsche are one of the last two, um, and it's primarily yeah. the Euro you know Europeans don't like manuals as much as we do. It's the primarily the, the the we're such a major market for BMW M cars that they're still willing to make them for us. And I love what yeah. Marcus Flash said that you know some people still like um, the manual aspect of chrono you know chronomats. Uh, Right. self-winding watches and some people there will always be a market for this this type of transmission you know hopefully bmw make right. it for a long time actually most no. of european markets don't even get the, the manual so like the uk does not get a manual yeah with 3M4, they're only so. getting competition models yeah with the automatic so i think um uh, now you models. uh because you also have the e92 m3 uh which is known for having quite good steering at least better than the f80 uh that it you know, proceeded. What did you think of the steering in the new M4? Well, I noticed that I, the, I've heard hit or miss. I've heard some some different things. You know, I think it was an overwhelming experience <laughs> driving it right away. But I didn't. It didn't seem bad to me. Like the very first time I drove a BMW's at first uh, electric power steering in uh, you know the twenty fourteen three series roughly. Um, so I a, thought it was incredibly disappointing, um, but this one, you know, thick steering wheel, great um, resistance to turning the wheel. Um, I don't, I don't know that I really paid attention to the tactile feel of the steering wheel, but certainly the next time I drive it, I will. Um, 
but the tires are so large that you could kind of, um, you got a little tram lining to it, meaning it, it kind of followed the right. grooves in the road. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, that was a good experience when something, you know, reflective of a car with so much grip. Right. Yeah. And what, what do you think of the Kinney Grill in person or in real life? Well, this, this particular car, I want to say it was Tanzanite Blue. I think that's the right name Tan- for it. Oh, Tanzanite, yeah. Yeah, and it, I, when I first looked at it, I actually thought it was black. And actually in a really dark color, I think it looks good and you don't notice the grill as much. I think if I were going to order one or buy one, I would want a dark color because then the, the grill is not as like in your face. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. kind of uh design statement but uh you know after spending oh, about two weeks with a um a 430 coupe you know i kind of got used to the the look of the grill you know i kind of thought maybe that's a one-off that you're going to get this much grill on the four series and then i thought no nah, maybe they're not gonna then they then it's on the m3 and m4 and the ix and you know i think it's clearly going to be their design in the future. So, I mean, I'm starting to get used to it. Um, but I, you know, when I had the four series and I took it to work for like two weeks, uh, I got uh, about 11 comments and you can guess that uh, there were overwhelmingly majority was negative on the, the grill. Yeah. Um, 10 out of 11 were very specific. They didn't like the grill. The one positive comment was the guy in the parking lot that came up and walked behind me as I was showing the car and he didn't see the grill as he was going by. <laughs> so I don't know that I would call that, you know, win for the design, but, you know, I didn't get a negative comment on that, so I wanted to include that. But I did get 11 comments, including phone calls, <laughs> text messages, everything, and everybody said that grill, you know. And just, I mean, if you want to make a statement, that car's going to do it, and, you know, whether or not people like that. You know, I know that they, Del McGoy said that, you know, it's not for everybody, that's for sure. But I think on the M4, it fits better. Uh, and especially in a dark color, you know, it kind of reminds me of uh, uh, Predator, you know, that big, nasty, like, massive <laughs> face. That's kind of what I think when I see it. It's very menacing. But on the 4 Series, it's uh, not as menacing. It's just very prominent. Yeah, because the 4 Series has that weird, like, uh, pattern in the grill. So it kind of looks a little different. And uh, the M3 and M4, I noticed, I saw them in person at a, a BMW event a few months back, and they definitely do look better in person than in photos, because there's more, like, depth. It's a little more, you know, there's a little more 3D geometry there than you see in pictures, and it does look better, but I, st- I kind of agree with you. I still don't really know if it's a, uh, a good design that people are going to, you know, like. Was it an M Sport package, or is it just a regular sport line or trim, uh, luxury line, whatever they call it? Uh, the four series I drove was a, a base, which was, you know, it's good to experience the, the base. I think every now and then you get to see what, where BMW is really trying to go. And it was definitely aimed at the luxury market. It's a softly sprung car. The front end mm-hmm. had a lot of bounce to it. Um, and I did get to do a very short drive in an M440 convertible, which, um, you know, I could tell within about three blocks that it was it would be the car for me over the the non you know M version because the you know I just didn't like the dampening in the base car. I just thought it was too soft. But again, you know, there are a lot of people who don't like cars like I like, and there are a lot of people that like um, softly you know softly sprung cars and very compliant cars. In fact. Um, when I had the 4 Series loaner, I, I put it up on my lift and took a look at the I'll look at the, the spring rate, and the, it's got to be the weakest spring I've ever actually seen <laughs> installed on any car. And, I, um, you know, I, I don't, you know, I don't know what to say. I would change it if it were my car, but, you know, I, I'm not everybody. A lot of people like... Um, you know, a smooth riding car. I like a car that you can feel road. I, I like a car that you can pitch into a corner and accelerate out of it, you know. Um, but I get why BMW has to appeal to the kind of Lexus crowd, if you will, because that they, you know, some people like that smooth, soft ride. Um, and it's a great highway cruiser, but uh, but it, it's definitely not for me. Right. I think it's based on feedback. So when I drove the uh, 330i um, <clears throat> sedan, what is it g20 a few years back uh, basically i felt like the suspension was a little too rough also when i went with the adaptive suspension um the modes were too close to each other so there was not enough differentiation in between comfort and sport 
And I think that's the feedback that they receive from the customers, you know, that with that car, that they want actually a little bit more comfort, uh, you know, built in. So I think they also revised the uh, sports suspension a little bit on the uh, on some of the G20 cars, if I remember correctly. So they probably do the same thing on the on the convertible and on the coupe as well. Yeah. But um, I think I that's think kind of right, what customers yeah. want. Yeah. And, and the same thing with the new M3 and, and M4. That's one thing that I noticed immediately also was the was this wide gap in between driving modes. I mean, before they were pretty close. Now, if you really want to go comfortable, you, you go to comfort mode and it's really comfortable and soft right. and all of that. Yeah. So I, just, I guess I was surprised people, because you know? to me, a, a four series is a sporty coupe. At least that's the way the BMWs historically pitched a car. And if you want the dis- the ride that you're describing, you maybe get a three series without a sports package, or you get a five series, you know, that's a luxury car, or a seven series, you know. Um, I was kind of just surprised to find that because they they talk about how it's got a wider track in the rear, how it, it's you know almost two centimeters or two inches, I can't remember, lower than the three series. So it set my expectations that it was going to be a good handling car, and you know I could get it to lean over and and then I could find the edge of it and then it, I could enjoy it, but it was just totally different than, than the other ones. But again, you know, I get that they need to have comfortable cars for people. It's just, I was surprised that, uh, you know, they kind of pitched the four series as a, a sporty car, but, um, it, I that one I drove, the base was kind of comfortable well, or comfort oriented. Yeah, I think, I think Chuck's kind of, I don't know if they, in the press release, I remember thinking like, okay, because in the press release when the four series first came out, they did really say that it was going to be sportier than the three series. I mean, they were talking about like Chuck said, a wider wheel track. Um, they said the steering has been revised, and they were you know talking about better performance. So I thought the same thing, and then when I drove it, I, my first reaction was, this is a grand touring car. This is a GT car. It's comfortable. It's smooth. It's incredibly capable. And like if you put like you can drive it on track, and it is surprisingly capable. The M440i at least. But it's definitely um, more GT car than sports car. I think the, if you want a sportier three series, you get a two series now. Yeah, it almost series. reminded me of like the original six series that came out maybe ten, you know, or twelve years ago. I mean, it's that big. It's that Boulevard Cruiser size. Uh, you know, it's even longer. Um, you know, it varies. GT car. That's a perfect description. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm always wondering. You know who's the customer, right? And I always want to see those uh, studies that they have or that they do, or marketing studies, and e- even surveys to kind of see who's the customer for the four series and three series. But if I were to look around, uh, people that I see in four series are usually young professionals. They just want a nice car to go to work. They don't, they're not really looking for you know a very sporty car and all of that. So. You know, um, that's probably what they're trying to cater to. And that's why you have all these M cars. If you want to go sport it, just go to an M car. But, yeah, that's just looking around. That's kind of what I see. And yeah. you're absolutely right. I think the 2 Series, it's more of an enthusiast car right now, the 2 Series Coupe. Than, yeah, it's than it's the almost like the 2 sure. Series, it's the new old M3. And in body style-wise, it's about the size of an E46 chassis. Um, mm. You know, it it's I think it's probably where most enthusiast uh gravitate towards that you're going to see a lot of m2 competitions like new ones at a track a bmw car club of america track event uh you're going to see less new m3s you're going to see a lot of e92 m3s you know i think you're absolutely right rachu i think it's that that uh the that demographic has moved down to the two series and i what really amazes me is that bmw still makes the four series in a non-m car to begin with, so many people buy sport utes anymore. The the market for sedans and coupes is really dropping. Um, so it's got to cost a lot of money to develop these things, and they got to sell them to the people who are willing to buy them. And you know, I get that. And for me, if I were going to buy a new one now, they they have that option of being you know hardcore enthusiast driver type too. You know, it's it's nice they have the spread of of models. You also got to keep a, uh, a global view of all of this, right? So if you, if you go to Europe, you see a lot of three and four series. You don't see a lot of SUVs. And basically, um, you know, you see diesels, a lot of three series diesels and four series diesel because they're affordable and they're still nice cars to drive and all of that. So, yeah, if we, sp- if we talk about the U.S., clearly, uh, you know, SUV dominating market, they just released the, the numbers for the quarter one and I think it was like 60% 
of the sales were SUVs, but uh, in Europe, I hunted okay. out of it. Uh, yeah, it's kind of the other way around. So that's why they um, they keep the cars around probably for other markets, not necessarily for the US. I mean, uh, if especially if you go to like Eastern Europe, not a lot of people can afford to uh, to buy a, an SUV. And um, it doesn't even make sense sometimes with the gasoline price. And um, some, some countries there, they used to have uh, extra fees, extra taxes on the displacement. So the larger the displacement, the larger the tax on it. And sometimes those taxes were like massive and it wasn't really worth buying an SUV in, all, in those places. I don't know if those countries still have that law or, or not, but it was one of the reasons why people had small displacements and diesels and everything else. Well, walls are probably going to get even more strict now, right? With electrification and all that. So probably just going to, that gap is probably going to, you know, increase Europe going yeah, smaller I mean, like, and America going bigger. <laughs> See what happens, right? Yeah. Okay. So Chuck, Absolutely. I want to um, I want to ask you because I know you're doing um, you're doing the M driving school soon, right? Uh, yes. The, uh, uh, in I, Spartanburg or? Well, um, in in BMW uh, manufacturing facility in Spartanburg, they have a, a wonderful track there that I've driven years ago, but it's been a while. But yes, I'm I'm getting to go there later in the month, and I'm going to get to drive and. An M4 manual transmission car uh, on a closed right. course, so I'm certainly looking forward to that. Um, if you guys have any questions that we you want us to answer about that car or or manual or any other car, M3, M4, the new ones, uh, you know, want us to any questions about those you want us to answer while we're playing with it on the the track there, um, certainly leave them in the comments. Yeah, the comments, or you can send an email to uh, podcast at bmwblog.com. And Nico, what's your email to you use for your feedback? Uh, just nico at bmwblog.com. Gotcha. Simple as yeah, that. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah it um, has been a while since we asked for feedback anyway, so it might be, uh, yeah. might be a good idea. Absolutely. Okay, yeah, cool. yeah, for so, sure. Um, ask about that. So I, I guess we'll, uh, we'll circle back with you after you come back and kind of give us more ideas on yeah the, i'm on the definitely going to be making um a lot of videos and you know that's my primary focus there is the um you know vlogging about it or describing it with video audio and you know talking about it so you know we'll certainly go through the descriptions of the cars and um, what they're like and <clears throat> you know bmw's going to let us have a portion of the track um you know to ourselves so that we don't um, interrupt the class uh, a lot of times uh, it's, you know, when you go through the classes, they have a very strict um, schedule that they need to keep to. And um, I think this will be a lot of fun that uh, hopefully I'll get some time on the skid pad, get to play around in the drift mode, get to see what it's like to um, zero to 60, the thing. Um, in fact, Rachi was kind enough to send me a race box uh, that I'm going to shove in the, the window to see what kind of performance figures we can get. So we'll hope for some good weather. Um, so it should be fun. Yeah, that would be cool. I mean, that's that was kind of the idea of getting that uh, that race box, and you know, thanks for the guys to uh, you know for sending that uh, you know box to us. We've been uh, we've been uh, looking for one for a while. And I think it's gonna it's gonna make the the, the zero to sixty runs a little bit more accurate. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we could do some actual like performance testing, like metrics. Exactly. Like, yeah. Right, and, and it uses GPS, and it should be fairly accurate. So. Yeah. So I think. We can tease that we're gonna do the zero to sixty or sixty-two. I think well, zero to sixty-two would be the. Is that the official one? I mean, I don't even know which which well, one. Well, they is the they list them both. They list 60. zero to hundred kilometers, which is zero to sixty-two, yeah, 62. Um, for European markets, and then they list zero to sixty for us. But it'd be interesting to see, you know, play around. With I guess that. we definitely want to do the zero to one twenty-four, two hundred kilometers per hour. I think that would be a good one. Yeah. we've done a zero to sixty-two in Germany. Actually, one of the BMW drivers did that. Uh, I don't remember what the time was, but uh, there was somebody else. I think either Carwa or somebody else that did a test, and it was actually faster than what we were able to achieve in that test. Yeah. Granted, uh, we used the GoPro, I think, to to time it, so maybe not entirely accurate. But uh, well, I think a lot of it, if it's all going zero. just to the rear wheels, is going to depend on the grip you can get out of the surface. So if the surface is really grippy, or there's there's mm -hmm. you know it's raining, or yeah, I'm not sure to use know, it. Yeah. it we'll hope for good weather and a dry track. Yeah, yeah, sounds good. Yeah, but I think it'll, there'll be some cool stuff that we want to get out of that, especially that. You know, M Drift Analyzer. I didn't have a chance to actually test it, but I know that Bill Oberlin was raving about that one. <laughs> yeah, it looks, a lot of it looks interesting. It. That was part of the part of the thing I was going through, and um, 
the sales guy there was kind enough to give me the, the whole listing of all the options. And interestingly enough, to get the M Drift Analyzer, you have to go for a $900 option, which is, I'm looking forward to M Drive no, Professional. So if you're ordering one of these, make sure you order an M Drive Professional. You want, you want that. Um, yeah. Well, you, you know, can that'll test give the drift you the M drift, drift analyzer. Uh, you know, if you ever get the chance, and it also gives you right. M track mode and a couple other things. Well, I hope you test it on track with BMW because I'm not testing it on the road. <laughs> That's not happening. Yeah, here it is. It's M track mode drift. Uh, you know, the ten different stages: the M analyzer uh, and then the M timer. So all those come with a $900 option. So for sure, check that box if you're ordering one of these cars. Uh, it seems like an incredible deal for me. Yeah, <laughs> to me. So Nico, you're gonna be the you're gonna be the last one to uh, drive the M3 and M4, huh? I know. I'm like the last person in America to drive <laughs> the M3. It's crazy. I actually have a dream of the M2CS, so don't feel too bad. Ah, uh, I got actually, one up on somebody. Yeah. No, yeah, uh, I'm actually waiting to see if one comes to the Midwest, so I can. You know what I think it is? I, I think they see all my my comments about its grill, so they don't want to give me one. <laughs> I think they're uh, BMW. Yeah, fan that's of me. Uh, I don't know. Just the other the thing grill. that I thought was absolutely awesome were the, the M carbon bucket seats. Uh, you know, they, oh, yeah. they really, really hold you well. I mean, you drop, cool. it takes a little effort to drop down into them. And I think people are probably going to wear the, le wear the leather on the edges, getting in and out of it. Mm -hmm. But yeah. uh, they really, really hold you in um, quite nicely. Um, yeah. Reminds me of some carbon bucket seats that I've ridden in, in, in Porsche's GT cars before. I mean, on that level of locking you down in um, bolstering um, i'd even go there a little more comfortable than than the porsche versions but <laughs> yeah but do you yeah, think I people like will... a lot but i'm little yeah. so i fit yeah that's that's the thing with me so we <clears> talked <throat> with joe achilles about this too uh i mean he's quite tall too i think he's like six three or six four he's six, six four he says it three. every wow. video yeah he's six four yeah so i'm six <laughs> three so uh it's it's not it's not extremely easy to get in and out I guess that's one thing that I noticed right away. Uh, you're definitely going to touch the sides and probably, you know, slowly damage them in time. Um, yeah, he actually said the his press bar was worn. Like, it was worn already. Was it worn out a little bit? Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. Right. So, I don't know if, if if I were to buy the car, I don't even know if I will um, if I'll take the bucket seats over the standard if, I, if it's a daily driver. I mean, if it's a weekend car and I can, you know, drive an i3 like the one behind you all day long, then maybe I'll get a the bucket seats but if i were to drive that car every day stop and go yeah uh, i mean you have to fit sure. right in them or you're not going to like them you're right it's probably not for yeah. uh, somebody who's who's fairly large um in turn yeah. especially around the middle you know that would that might be that might be tough for them but uh you know for, for me well, i need to get on a uh, weight loss program you know, then the, it does have things. adjustable side bolsters so you can adjust it wider yeah. uh, or narrower to to grip you or give you more space but they are kind of fixed, but I've, I found sure. them, I mean, you know, amazing. It's cool that they offer the option, right? I think that's kind of, that's the cool part. And if you don't yeah. want them, you don't want them. You can just get the standard seats. And they're actually, uh, they're actually quite nice. I had a chance to uh, to uh, sit on one, on some of them in the, I think it was an M3 that had them. And I posted a video on YouTube as well. So I actually like those quite a bit. So you don't have to go to the extreme, honestly, if you don't want to get a carbon fiber yeah. seat. But they definitely look cool. And I went actually in, into the back seat of that coupe and they look fantastic from uh, behind to like yeah, the full They're carbon back. So oh, yeah. nice. Yeah. And so you know, nice. they look like you could hook them up and put uh, harnesses in them. And clearly over the shoulders you could, around the waist you could. And we were trying to figure out if there's a center section you can pull out for um, the sub submarine belts. Um, Maybe. Yeah. But it, it it looks like you could do it. Um, well, well, they have the I'm section sure that in the back. The headrest actually comes off, so you can wear it with a yeah, helmet. Yeah, you can see you can see the two little. It looked like they were. They're not yeah. screws, but they're um, Allen type screws. I mean, That's I did look for that. I found you find the M4, and then you look underneath of it, and you can see them. I, I located those. Yeah. I was surprised they were so easy to find. But so if you they know, have I that. believe the same thing is is down by the little carbon fiber piece that's in between your legs. So that she could put the submarine yeah. belt on. Right. I've like I haven't poked around them enough, but it stands to reason that if they're gonna give you like a helmet spot, you know, right. they've got something else for other you know, other belts. Absolutely. I'm pretty sure they um they th they thought about everything, especially with the uh potential M four C S L coming out and all this, you know, racing type uh M models. 
uh, that's why they probably wanted to design the seats that way so they can adjust it to a to a more racing focused car and i think i think we'll see something probably this year or next year i think they're celebrating 50 years of them wow is it 50 years yeah oh, i think so so i think they're gonna do yeah that's that's why um yeah so I what just year did the somewhere. m1 come out what 70 79 Oh, There's something a celebration with 50 years. Is it 50 years of M or because the um, Marcus Flash said in an interview oh. that um, they're going to release some special models for the anniversary. They don't want to say more. And actually, I was in a uh, Zoom meeting also, and uh, they mentioned that as well. Uh -huh. So um, yeah. we'll see. Yeah, it'll be quite interesting to see what it can do for the racing people. Um, I kind of want to segue a bit into something Horatio just mentioned, and it's your i3 behind you chuck oh yeah this uh, because your this is <laughs> very special color yeah it's i love it absolutely love it jealous <laughs> it's is it the first so it's the first bev right it's the first fully electric i3 it, in gold it, gold. it was the first fully electric i3 bev i think there was one other one that was on a boat to Hawaii or something about the same time. So there was another one for the US, but this is like the first BEV that hit the US and there was a Rex up in New York City, I think. Um, wow. But yeah. for a car that has not changed at all for eight years, much at all from the exterior, um, to get comments like, uh, people the other day just asked me, you know, to roll down the window, see we are in downtown. And somebody's like, roll the window down. And I'm like, okay, I hope I don't get you know mugged or whatever but they're like <laughs> what kind of car is that you know is it a smart car and i was like no it's all electric but you know i think that's what they meant by smart car but it's yeah, just yeah. a it's a unique shape uh you, you don't get many of them at the dealership um it's what this is what i drove up to the dealership to drive the m4 and like everybody was looking at it because they don't have any you know, they yeah. just, the numbers for the U.S. Are, are not as big as you would have imagined them when they launched the car in 2014. You know, you thought yeah, that they'd I mean, be that sitting on the parking lot like the 3 Series, but they're not. You have to hunt for them. And they're, they're wonderful commuter cars, you know. I think they're the ideal commuter car, personally. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely get into that, but uh, a little bit more about that color. Um, I think... It just gives the car a fresh look. I mean, I've seen only your videos. I haven't seen the car in real life yet. But I do love the contrast, you know, the color blocking in all black with the yellow. And, you know, especially if you get some, you know, uh, black uh, wheels on it. It just looks yeah. fantastic. And that's the yeah. I3S, yeah. too, so it looks yeah. a little bit Our snow tires are all black, black wheels. So you know, I'll have yeah, some so black wheel perfect. pictures for you, but there'd be 19s and not, these, not the bigger ones. So It's super cool color. I mean, I've seen it on the X2 when it came out. I actually had an X2 for a week. I, you know, and, I think uh, it looks better it on this beautiful. one, and I think it, it looks better because you mix the the colors up with the black on the hood, and, and the then gray. you have the the gold in the middle, and then more black on the bottom. You know, I just like the way that uh, I like the way that the colors broken up, and then even the roof is a different color because it's carbon fiber reinforced plastic. So it's just yeah. an interesting combination of colors that it just looks stunning. I mean, we really liked our last one, or. Um, our uh, Imperial Blue Metallic was the name of it. And it, it was a good so looking heaven, car, yeah. but it had to be clean and it had to be in the bright sunlight or you thought the whole thing was black because it was just really black, dark. Yeah. yeah. That's that's what I have now, yeah. So basically, you're absolutely right. It's oh, dirty yeah, all the time. Because uh, you were yeah, saying pandas. I, well, no, I actually had a panda was the first. Then I changed to a fluid black. And I changed to Melbourne Red, which was my favorite. Oh, and yeah. I was I was willing to go for the uh, Protonic Blue that was on the i8, and they had it on the i3 for a while, but they, they canceled that out a few years back, maybe two, three years. I never understood why, because every time that I see a pre-owned i3 in Protonic Blue, I think it's so cool. I just love, love that color. But uh, I wish I had the patience to wait a little bit longer, like Chuck, you know, be able to get his <laughs> galvanical. That would have probably kept that car forever. You know, what's yeah, interesting is yeah. we we didn't know anything about it. We were actually trying to order a Melbourne um, red metallic because uh, I like that color too. But um, we just missed the build build dates closed on those. And he goes, but do you want, you know, how about one of these two new colors? And I'm like, uh, okay. So our, our timing was totally serendipitous. It wasn't on purpose. And, um, you know, um, we love it the works. car. Love the color. Um, love the body style. You know, it's it's great. Great run around town you, car. 
I'm really you know enjoying the, the extra range. Body style? Uh, yeah, you know, 153 so like mile range, you. and you know, for two of us, and occasionally our our daughter, we throw in the back. It's been been awesome. So, Nico, do you, do you want to tell him what uh, Chris Bangle said about the designer of the i3? Oh. Uh, do you remember the conversation that we had? That he yeah, said that basically he when he laughed, the i3 had a different design. Yeah, he was. He, he didn't so say he didn't like it. He just said no. He didn't say like his it. was no. different. He, he, he said, said it was just was different. different. Yeah. yeah. And I and I wish we pressed more to kind of find yeah. out what it looked like or well, at least he give was, us an idea. He was being very diplomatic about oh, yeah, BMW's sure, yeah. current designs. He did because he sense probably sense. still has a lot of friends at BMW or, and stuff like. He doesn't want to hurt sense. anyone's feelings, but um, not that the, I because I love the i3. I think it's a great car. I think it's such a cool looking car too. But uh, he, I don't think he, <laughs> he made it seem like he wasn't in love with it. I'm actually wondering if be, if it would have been more successful if they. Uh, they built it from the get-go as a small sedan like the Tesla Model 3. Yeah, it, it is a very unique looking car. There's there's nothing like it on the road. And I get that it's it is it got a polarizing look, which is interesting to me that I was criticizing the 4 Series about having a polarizing look, and then I drive an i3, right? So I don't well, know uh, that that, yeah, well, I th- that I th- holds I think the i3 is... I think the i3 is a polarizing look in a good way, though, you know, because it's so different and it's so interesting and it looks futuristic and, like... You know, it, it's cleverly designed. You might not like it, but it's like it's clever. And the four yeah, series just well looks packaged. like someone just kind of threw the grills onto the front end of the car. You yeah. know, so one of my buddies uh, took a picture of the four series and drew bunny ears on it and sent it with yeah. a carrot in the mouth <laughs> and sent it back to me. Like, like thank you. Right. You know. <laughs> Actually, my uh, my favorite Chuck story is that um, you know. Uh, not only that, I don't know anyone that actually wanted uh, a. Uh, BMW actually won an i3 in a raffle. <laughs> so oh, some people really? telling me that, that you can win this, yeah. that if yeah, I just that's an unbelievable story. And I, I don't know it anyone that's won such a large prize. You, you know? actually won an i3 <laughs> in a raffle. Two, 2014, um, uh, the BMW Car Club of America raffle. I think I don't know for ten years I bought every every time it came up I would buy four tickets every time buy four tickets and um, my phone rang late in the fall uh, of that year and during Oktoberfest and you know it's the former president of the, the CCA calls me and says Chuck you're the luckiest guy I know you just <laughs> want a new BMW and I like got out of bed like ran down the stairs woke my family up you know I'm like <laughs> they're like don't tell anybody I'm like right like well everybody already knew by the time that I knew because all my friends were there and they started sending messages and uh you know you know we were definitely gonna get a car with that and they the prize drawing that that year was the M235 Right, um, right, but yeah. I decided uh, that to keep the E92 M3 and not get an M235, which I think now is definitely have been the right decision. Yeah. And then we got the i3 as a commuter car on top of that. So it uh, it's been a wonderful you know experience. I I don't join any more um, raffles. I don't want to be accused of anything, <laughs> but that was shocking for sure. You know, Damn, um, can you actually join again, or if you win once, you're done. Uh, you know, I probably could enter if I wanted to, but but I don't because I don't want to. You know, I don't want that perception. <laughs> you know, any, that. any worse than it is already, right? Wow, that's some noble <laughs> stuff right yeah. there. Man, yeah. I, I would enter again. A lot of people were involved more. in that and some federal tax stuff that you had to fill out. So it was right, it was interesting. Yeah. The highest prize that I've ever won was a pair of sneakers, and I, I have had, never I had won to pay a scratch for, off for them. I cannot tell I you. Actually how, won. Yeah. I cannot tell you how I good the BMW back, Car Club of America has been to me, and the, and the i3 is just, yeah. you know, the icing on the cake. I, I've had the most amazing experiences because of being in the car club from racetracks and, you know, um, meeting Anders Bovenstein out at uh, Laguna Seca and renting an M3 race car out there and driving on that track. All kinds of amazing experiences because of that organization, but, uh, you know, it's I, I've enjoyed it, but... I, um, I've been very lucky. Many of the listeners or viewers know, but you have a Tesla Model 3 and also a BMW i3. And uh, my question is, why do you have two electric cars? Do you need two electric cars? Or no, what's the no, use case for each you one of them? you don't need two electric cars. But um, I'm <laughs> very fortunate nice to, to have. have several cars. But my wife and I drive one of each to work. Um, and we use electric cars most of the time for commuting. Um, 
and the I3 is primarily, you know, just around town. Um, we, we've gone maybe on a 200 mile round trip, uh, trip with it once, um, and had to, you know, DC charge it twice. Uh, but, but if we're going to go on a bigger trip, we take the Tesla model three, it's just a much easier, uh, in terms of planning your trip with a Tesla than it is with a non-Tesla electric car. You just you just punch in your destination and the Tesla tells you, all right, along the way, stop at this supercharger and charge for this long. And it can look and tell you how many of them are full or if they're functional and what they run at. Oh, really? And it can even heat the battery pack up as you're, you know, arriving so that the, it's at the right temperature to accept the charge the fastest. So, you know, it's just, it's much easier to travel long distance with a Tesla than it is with uh, the, the i3. But... You know, if I'm just going to run to the grocery store to work, uh, you know, I much prefer the i3, um, you know, but one of us is driving the, one of the electric cars every day. Um, you know, they're just in constant motion. They're just, uh, we have solar on our house. It just, it, it works well. That's so it's awesome. all solar charging? Uh, you know, we don't, we don't have any battery packs at the house. So we have, um, we have what they call a net meter. So if we're producing more than when we're consuming, it goes back to the grid and then they credit us when we use them. But, uh, you know, if when we're home and one of the cars is home and it needs a charge and if we can charge during the day we do, and you know, that throws solar in it, it's, uh, it's been super nice. Yeah. It's like the most green way to charge it as well. Absolutely. as green as you can get you know so yeah so that actually leads me to my next question was um you know tesla's biggest advantage is the supercharging network um so like what are as someone who uses both supercharged network and you know standard charging stations uh what do you think are the major advantages for tesla's supercharging network well, my neighbor just started his lawnmower, so sorry if you hear that outside there. But, uh, you know what? It's the ease of use. You don't have to think about it. The car thinks about it for you. If, you know, the trips I've planned to cities that are, um, you know, I have to charge and come back for the i3, I have to look on apps and look and make sure that the DC chargers there work. I have to look and plan myself how many miles is that. You can't just tell the BMW I want to go you know, to St. Louis, which is, you know, 300 some odd miles. I can't, I can't do that in the I3. I have to, I have to get on EV, you know, trip planner and figure it out myself. And then once I'm confident that the charging stations are open and along the way, uh, I can do it. And we've done it a couple times, but it is just, it's a lot harder to do. And the Tesla just makes it so easy. And the the superchargers are, are just super convenient and close. All right. You said something before I wanted to actually ask you about. Um, you said it, the, the the Tesla will know if the chargers are, oh, like if they are vacant or occupied. Like, will it tell you if, you know, like a, a charging station ha- is full up, or will it tell you if like there are empty spots? Yeah, there's a little icon you can tap on, and it'll oh, tell you that how many cool. stalls there are and how many people are occupying the stalls. Now, you know what you don't know is if you're driving and you're going 150 miles before you stop, you know those people are clearly going to be gone. So, I mean, even if it's full by the time you get there, it's probably going to be empty, uh, or the right. converse could be true. It could be empty when you looked, and it could be full when you get there. But I've never experienced that, you know. But I also don't live on the West Coast, so. I think the West but, Coast but it, has experienced, you know, pretty good crowding, but not, sure. not in the Midwest. But it's still very helpful because you see a lot of complaints about people who use like Electrify America or something where there's you really don't have that sort of information. So people or especially, um, you know, charging stations that only have one or two units and, you know, people will go and they're they're full because there's only two units in it. And you didn't know ahead of time. So now they're full and you need to charge and you have to go figure out where the next closest one is. And that can be really annoying so i think yeah that's a huge feature i think yeah it's uh, it's it's a huge tesla has a huge leg up on that and uh on my i3 i got um because it's a new one they gave us a hundred dollars in free dc charging but the closest dc charger that i could use uh is uh in chicago so (laughs) i would have to (laughs) figure out how to road trip up that far to actually be able to use it so you know three or four hundred miles from from the house a DC charger is not really going to help be helpful in a car with a range of 150 right. or 160 miles, but you know. Right. So I got a 
range extender basically i was trying to avoid all these things with charging i think i made the right choice every single time because there's just not enough uh, charging stations and i think the longest trip that i took with the i3 in my case was uh, from chicago to uh, ohio so i don't know 300 400 miles maybe and uh, it was a pain even with the racks i literally had to stop probably every 30 to 45 minutes I did code the um, range extender to be able to activate it and just use that on the highway. But, you know, going at high speeds, I was definitely stopping every 30 to 45 minutes. And um, I also did this, uh, I actually learned this online, one of the BMW i3 groups, where uh, I wouldn't fully stop the car. I would literally just, uh, you know, exit through the passenger uh, side door because that way, I think once you open the, the driver's side door, it just stops the car or it resets the... Um, the odometer and um, I would just, you know, exit to the other side, fill it up, get back in and just keep on driving just to gain a few more miles. But it was not a pleasant experience, honestly. <laughs> Probably stopped, I think, on the way there. I counted either anywhere from 8 to 12 times maybe and Oof. then on, on, on the way back. Um, and were you charging at DC charging or were you having to stop to fill no, gas or just was, stop no, to let the gas. car? This was just gas. There was yeah, no, that's, that's crazy. There was no... There was no DC fast charging actually on the way unless you would deviate from the rod a little bit and then, uh, and I just didn't want to do that basically. I mean, it's when, when you get from Chicago to Ohio, you just take 94 and that's it, just keep on going. So I didn't feel like, you know, exiting and trying to find fast charging stations and all yeah. of that and um, just filling up the gas. But I was kind of curious to see, you know, how how it works. I don't think I'll do it again. But uh, So you're going to take the 1M, man. Exactly. Yeah, drive that classic car. Yeah, take it is that rough thing. for a long drive. I have that. Uh, if I didn't have the Eisenman exhaust, which I always wanted it because it's so loud and sounds really good, I would have done it. But if you drive on the highway, you're getting that droning sound, whatever yeah. it's called, drone sound, droning, mm-hmm. and it just becomes gear, annoying like after a while. Yeah, you like just kind of drive feet, faster, right? shift downshift, yeah. and drive faster. <laughs> Get through orange it. car, orange car, sporty, and yeah, no five thousand RPM, yeah. just holding you down the highway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, no, no. I'd, I actually prefer driving the i3 for some of those things. It's a little bit more comfortable oh, yeah. than the 1M. Yeah, of and course. For some reason, every time that I take the 1M out, there is always like I either hit a pothole or something happens. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. there's not that actually, many that cars out, out there. Yeah, I actually did take it out a couple of days ago. Um, just for a little bit, for a little bit around, I took some because yeah, I figure actually looks really good. It does look <laughs> great. Every time man. that it's I, awesome that I yeah, every time I take it on lane, this car looks really, really, really good. But it's um, an awesome car. Super jealous. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I it's actually, it's aging well. I mean, it, it still looks absolutely stunning, and that Valencia orange is gorgeous. I mean, better to say, but last year I, I don't think I drove more than a thousand miles. Of, you know, with that one M. I mean, mostly really? because I have any place to drive really. No, the Chicago was not really uh, sports car yeah. friendly. And that and COVID, I mean, it was really not a lot of yeah. things to do. So I yeah, find a place where I should, you know, be driving to. But um, but yeah, no, I th- I still reach reach out to the uh, I I I reach to the i three a little bit more in my garage than than I do for the one. Even though the i three is not in a garage, so I take that back. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I kind of wonder if I should take out the one M and just put the i3 inside and put a charging station and solve all the problems that I have with charging in Chicago. All right. Yeah, but then you yeah, gotta can, you, can you 220 volt charge your i3 at your house or where you live? So I have a neighbor that um, uh, has a Tesla Model 3 also. So since it's a detached garage, um, it's doable, costly. I think to run the wires mm-hmm. to that one, uh, somewhere around three to $4,000. We can probably split the cost because they're, I think the garages are one behind each other. Yeah, kind of like in an L shape. So we can probably run just, you know, uh, actually, I'm not sure because you have to run it from the, if if you run just one, uh, just a single line from the common area. So basically you're taking the electricity from the building, not from the unit, then you can share the cost. I think if you want to split it by the unit, then you have to do it like individually, which yeah, is cost. Yeah, then it'd be tough to divide up the, the charging, like who drives more, who charges more, that kind of stuff. That'd be tough. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. So you decided not to. I think if, if you have a house where the garage is not detached, then you can do it. I did it at my previous place, and it, it was not costly to install. It actually was, you know, quite cheap. But um, 
yeah, just fast charging, you know, and going through. Yeah, it's all on how far it's got to run and, you know, whether or not your panel's got enough amps in it, you know, left it, you know, it's uh, it's a complicated exactly. uh, answer to that question, you know, frequently. Yeah. Yeah, actually, exactly. I'm kind of happy. I just moved into a new house last year and uh, the panel box, the, the, the previous owners like ages ago, because it's a pretty old house, they had all electric appliances and they switched over. So I have a ton of extra amperage in the, the panel box to, to use. I kind of want to put in, uh, you know, uh, a 220 charger, but I don't have an electric car. So <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I guess they're all coming first. eventually, I suppose. But yeah, it, um, yeah. they're uh, they're fascinating. You know, mine are charged. A lot of people charge on a 50 amp circuit. I charge on a 40 amp circuit because that's just what I happened to put in the first time. You know, that's about what your standard electric oven runs, but I think everybody yeah. now is doing 50 amps, and, uh, you know, hindsight, I should have put 50 amps in, but I didn't, but we're getting along with 40 just fine, but, you know, it's yeah. certainly super convenient to have, uh, you know, higher volt, um, higher amperage charging at the house. We, we charge at 7.7 right. kilowatts in an hour is what we can get versus... Like DC charging can give you, you know, 50 for i3 and up to 250 for the Tesla. So right, when you're on right. a trip, you can go super fast. But but at home, we do seven roughly. Right. Yeah. No. I um. Clearly, it, it works. You know, it works well enough. And I, I just love the idea of being able to charge at home. I just love the idea of like kind of democratizing my fuel consumption. You know what I mean? Like instead of going to get gas, where like that's the only way I can get it. Uh, the idea of being able to charge at home or charge wherever it's just I don't know to me it seems like it's the smartest way to power a car you know uh, so I kind of I mean if you have the means I mean not the means but if you have the, the right setup then I, I don't think it's I don't think it's complicated to at home basically I mean charging stations are not that expensive I mean even the Clipper Creek that we use they're really affordable and they have a wide range of options so you can really you know go from super cheap to more expensive but I think also the wiring. Uh, what I've learned, you know, when I install mine, uh, if the if the if the the house or the garage is set up, you know, before with the proper, you know, uh, wires, or it's supposed to be six or eight gauge wires, Chuck. I don't remember if it's eight. Yeah, I don't remember. You know, yeah, and right, I yeah. know so that basically the, it's, the, it's a very specific answer, and I, I looked it up once years ago, and I've forgotten. But you're right. Yeah, that's what I did too. So basically, if you have the right wires already set up in in the garage that they can handle 220 then it's really easy you just have to get a, uh, a breaker right or get a mm -hmm. and uh and that's about it it's really not that complicated i think it only cost me a few hundred dollars to install the other one so it was not expensive at all yeah so i mean we had actually house. we built our house and i had no idea we we're gonna have an electric car and we were fortunate we had enough um, room in our fuse box and it was super easy to have the electrician he just came and snapped in a, another um, thing and then ran the wire Breaker, that was it yeah because a lot of the houses used to have the um, the the laundry uh, units in inside the garage maybe or somewhere close by so especially <laughs> those old yeah exactly so all those old school um, dryers basically they used to be 220s mm -hmm. and I said they, they still are some of them you know new ones and if they're if they're wired for that then it's easy to really get a charging station in there so yeah it's not that that's what i was just telling chuck like it like yeah. my house is all it had old had electric dryer had electric oven um all that stuff so i have I actually think i have two 50 amp breakers in my um my fuse oh, box yeah, that are completely yeah. unused because this house yeah. isn't house uses uh you know regular good gas now so yeah oh, i, I can definitely probably install it like tomorrow i just need the electric car <laughs> there you go i mean There'll be a lot of options. I mean, if you look in, in Europe, there's so many options right now. As, as actually, right now, actually, they're saying they're selling a lot of their, I think they call it Zoe. Mm -hmm. This little Zoe car, they sell so many because they're affordable. So I think at some point we'll, we will get some, some brands here, you know, that will have very affordable electric cars. I, I do expect some of the Japanese brands and yeah. uh, Korean brands to have that and even the the U.S. brands, basically. So I think it will be at uh, some point where anybody can buy an electric car and just charge it at home and doesn't have to be very, very costly. Yeah, I was kind of eyeballing, uh, the, you know, I don't, I, you know, don't want to buy a new car, but the Mini, the Mini, the electric Mini is priced so low yeah, for a brand one. new electric car. It's crazy. You've done a great job. Yeah. yeah, I think I wrote an article on it. I think with all the, in some of the states where they get uh, some state incentives as well, I think Colorado and some others. Mm -hmm. Was it 
three thousand there. There was another seventy five hundred dollars. I think yeah, it was like below like twenty thousand. Yeah. Yeah, you can get it below twenty thousand. So to get a mini electric below twenty thousand and maybe they throw in some incentives with the leasing also, I think that car could be really affordable to actually uh to actually have it. Yeah, it really can. Yeah, they're super I should love the I should love driving. Yeah, I, I they're super cool. I love driving that one. Um drives a little bit different than the I three, a little bit more stable, a little bit more sporty. The only thing that I not that I didn't like, but one thing that bothered me coming from the I three was the lack of space. I'm so used to the I three having that, you know, ideal inside packaging. They've done a great job with the packaging inside and having that extra space, you know, in the back, the trunk and all of that. That's one thing that in the mini I kinda I kinda missed. But um, also at the same time, I see the Mini Electric as your second car, really. Where the i3 can be your only car, I think the Mini it's better suited for you know being a second car, or maybe if you don't have a family, it's your it's your personal car. Um, right. But they've done a great job, so I'm definitely um, excited to see what they do with the Countryman. That's the one that's uh, they announced that's going to be all electric. So that'll be cool. I think they're going to do that. Uh, you know, GP3. JCW GP, which will be kind of that I'm excited about. Very excited yeah. about that because the Very GP is a great car, but its engine is boring yeah, it's and insane. its eight-speed automatic is no great. So, yeah, exactly. uh, so that brings me to this idea: uh, What's the future going to look like, Chuck? What do you think? You've been driving Porsches and BMWs and all these performance cars. What do you think is going to happen in five, ten years, where they're going to be all Electric Porsches, maybe, and Mercedes and BMWs and all of that. Well, I have driven the Porsche Taycan, and it it was a rocket ship, but it just was way too expensive for what it did for me, so I passed on it. Um, but yeah. I think, you know, I think the future is going to be, um, it's going to have multiple types of vehicles. I just can't see everything being electric working like a large um, transportation things I think would work well with, uh, you know, uh, if they could come up with some sort of hydrogen powered or um, some sort of um, uh, natural gas or I, I don't know. I, but I just I think transportation for large items through the mountains and the bad weather, I think that would be tough with electrical just because they would have to carry so many batteries and those batteries would have to be so heavy. So I think some something similar to what they did with, um, what was it, the 5 Series, uh, um, where it would convert um, hydrogen and oxygen and make water and, I don't know, whatever that was. That I can imagine yeah, that, that that would, that would work at some point. Yeah, hydrogen, uh, hydrogen fuel cell six cars GT. work well for that sort of thing, you know, because yeah. you just yeah, refill hydrogen. You know, refill it, and then it's a, it's an, a still an electric vehicle. You know, it's still right. powered by an electric motor, but it's just rather than batteries, you have hydrogen fuel. Right, so and maybe that could be the go. commercial route. You know, because right. those are stations are expensive, and it's super right. convenient to charge at the house. So, you know, I think the more electric vehicles that are out there, the less gas it's being consumed. Um, you know, and the better that electric vehicles are becoming. Um, you know, diesel is amazing. You can go forever with a tank of diesel gas in a truck. Uh, so I don't know. I, I suspect that the future is going to hold like multiple different ways, but, uh, you know, each individual vehicle is certainly becoming more efficient. You know, that is for sure. So I think there is also a misconception that uh, I see out there, especially in comments on all those platforms that we have, um, People think that it's the automakers they really want to switch over to electric cars and all of that, but they don't realize that those mandates come from 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 the state, come from different countries, from different governments. That's why the Europeans are so tough on uh, on the emissions and and sound pollution laws and all of that. So I think if at some point in I don't know twenty thirty somebody says you know in Germany you cannot build an electric car or a gasoline car they have no choice but to really build just electric cars so i don't think bmw is dying to build just electric cars i mean i'm pretty sure they'll be happy to just keep on building gasoline and and diesel i mean they're very good at that so why would they want to go out of their way to do that but they're they're f they're forced to so if you know if you have all this you know like in london you can go to the city center or in the you know northern countries you know sweden and norway where there's so many rules on gasoline cars and so expensive and you can't even go places so you're forced to so i don't think that, that people realize that it's not the automakers that are dying to do this it's really they're they're being forced to at some point so i do think that there will be a point in time 
I don't know, 2030, 2040, when there will be just electric cars being built, you might have some fuel uh, hydrogen cars, but there will be very few because, like you said already, the infrastructure is too expensive for personal use and likely it will be just small fleets of cars like BMW is testing now. But um, I, s- I think at some point there will be this, you know, stick in the sand and that's it, just electric cars from now on. Um, from my uh, side, I'm curious to see what the performance side would look like, you know, so when you're talking now about the M brand and AMG and RS and all this, what's what's the comparison going to look like? How are you going to compare those cars? Like you take it to the track and what are you going to be looking for? Because they're all going to be crazy fast, right? There is no doubt about it. But uh, yeah, how do the you zero sixty time them? and like the Tesla, you know, Ludacris and the Plaid. I mean, that's yeah. just mind blowing how fast that mm-hmm. is, you know. And you can, you just you can't believe their car can go that fast. It's crazy. Yeah, I think that will back off though, because you know uh, there comes a point where going fast in a straight line is going to become boring, right? Because it's the same thing over and over and over and over again. And uh, I've seen people complain about like the not the complain, but even say it in the Tesla, the ludicrous or whatever, you know, going zero to 60 in 2.1 seconds is really fun once. And then after a while, it's just uncomfortable, <laughs> you know, just physically, all the G force physically hurts. So I think automakers will start to separate themselves with better driving cars, you know, like like Porsche did with the Taycan, you know, port the, the Taycan's not a, as good of an electric car as the Tesla Model S, you know, but it's a better driver's car. For oh sure. yeah, it, it's uh you know you can throttle steer it it uh, it it's like was there driving you know something that was shot out of a rifle it was just amazing yeah. and it, and it can corner and stop that's the part that amazed me right right and, and you know you've seen videos I mean people will drift it like it's a you know it's a really prop it's a proper driver's car so I think soon you'll see automakers separate themselves that way um, but for right now the the big selling point is YouTube videos of people throwing their kids around with you know ludicrous mode acceleration so right now that's what we're gonna have until uh, until everyone catches that up that's gonna be the the um the barometer really for electric cars how safe that is really <laughs> how safe yeah it's probably not very safe yeah, at all but neither is falling asleep while you use autopilot but tesla guys do that anyway so yeah that's interesting uh you know with the autopilot too and the autonomous driving i think bmw it's um they were supposed to come out with the uh speaking of that just a side note but i just heard recently that there might be a, a scale back on autonomous driving for now basically there are some hurdles still to overcome yeah. so i don't think we're going to see level threes fours anytime soon just two and two plus is basically so uh, I can't wait to see the the next generation autonomous driving from BMW, maybe in the iX or the i4. So you, we can do a comparison with the autopilot in Tesla. What's mm-hmm. really the difference? I always wanted to look at that, but um, yeah, it's it's hard to know. We'll they're see. they're really good highway cruise assistance, um, you know, but they're not uh, they're not like you can't tell it to go to the grocery store and have somebody stick something in it and it drive itself back. They're they're a long ways from that, right. Well, don't tell Elon Musk that. It will be a time when we'll see something like that, maybe in a in a geofence. I think that's the main key. If you geofence some areas, right. some cities, and you can have just a certain type of car in there, then basically they just become robots, really. So it'll be easier yeah. to do. But that's an interesting topic that I'm waiting for BMW to tell us more maybe this year on autonomous driving because you know, yeah. two years ago it was all about that. That's also a topic that has that would take up another two podcast episodes. So <laughs> we won't get too, yeah, too, too deep, deep into that. Two, yeah. years, two years ago, I was in China actually. Well, it's a long time ago in Shanghai, and I visited a, the tech center. They have a tech center, and they mostly focus on design and autonomous driving. And it was incredible what they were doing there, because China has so many uh, smart cities. And when we talk smart, we're talking like really smart cities, unbelievable smart. Everything in the city is connected. And it was easy for, for them to test there with, with some of the tech that they have. But uh, it was quite impressive what they were doing there. So I was hoping that we're going to hear more since, but we haven't. So yeah, yeah infra- massive sure infrastructure change like, like that. Like you said, like a massive smart city. I think that's going to be required for heavy autonomous driving in the future. Yeah, it, it was also scary a little bit because, you know, there was there were some dashboards from what I, from what I understood that, you know, whoever... You know, runs runs the city can really have a you know a big broader <laughs> view of everything. It was right. It was unbelievable actually from like a from a technology uh, 
yeah, from technology p- uh, point of view, I mean, the way they were able to to handle the traffic and all of that, it was impressive. I mean, definitely very impressive. But um, I think that's kind of what we need, like in the future, more it's like smarter cities and able to communicate with cars and everything else. Yeah, for sure. Cool. All right, guys, we don't want to. You know, keep talking and boring people. So, Chuck, yeah. uh, <laughs> I guess we'll uh, we'll see you next time yeah. with some M3 and M4, you know, yeah, reviews. Kind of curious to see. Since you're going to be driving back to back the F80, also, I'm I'm extremely extremely curious oh, to yeah. see uh, what your thoughts are. You have a chance to drive the F80, actually. Yeah, in, I mean, uh, it has been a while since I've driven that one, but it, you know, the the new one, the G G80, G82, it, it did seem like the power delivery was either. It was either putting it down better, or it was less spiky, or maybe it was a transmission. I don't know, but I didn't feel like it was as, um, you know, the other one wanted to go sideways at the drop of a hat if you turned everything off. This one, the platform seems more stable. I don't know exactly why that is yet, but, you know, it's something I'm going to be asking those guys when I get down there. Nice. Yeah, it's good. Awesome, man. Right, well, oh, guys. Cool. Uh, well, thank you for joining. Appreciate no, it, Chuck. No, for Always a pleasure. Us, yeah, it was fun. Yeah, thanks for coming <laughs> on, and uh, I guess we'll see you soon. If you guys are listening to this, there will be also a, a YouTube version um, on our YouTube channel, right. and you can see Chuck's garage <laughs> right behind him. So there's some really cool cars there, and hopefully next time he's gonna show us some other cool stuff in his garage. Yeah, maybe next time I'll try the mobile GoPro version of this instead of just fixed. <laughs> that would be perfect. So you can show us the power lift and all of that. Right, right. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, there you go. Right, Maybe well, I'll thanks see for joining. Can I get a cool car and put it up. There yeah, you go. exactly. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. Well, have a good night. Cheers. and Talk to you soon. Yeah.